0: The WealthManagement.com Advisor Innovations Podcast is sponsored by LPL. As financial advice continues to evolve, LPL is at the forefront. Whether it's growing your RIA or building an independent practice, advisors can pick the business model, services, technology, and product mix that best meets their clients' needs. As a top wealth management firm 100% dedicated to advisor success, LPL looks forward to learning how they can help you build your tomorrow today. For information and show notes, go visit lpl.com slash advisor innovation. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Advisor Innovations Podcast. My name is David Armstrong, editor of wealthmanagement.com. And today I am joined by Adam Holt, the founder and CEO of AssetMap. Adam, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, David. Great to be here. I know that we have our sound checked down. We're all, we're all good sound wise. So let's just jump into it. As you know, this is the podcast where I get a chance just to talk to folks that I find interesting in the uh, advisory space, uh, doing interesting things. And it's basically just to satisfy my own curiosity about what these folks are doing, what they're building and why they're doing it. So uh, I think you're a great guest to have on this podcast. Uh, I know you uh, won our 2021 industry award winner for financial planning technology at the Wealthmanager.com industry awards. Uh, I think you just got top slot on the T3 technology uh, survey of advisors for best financial planning platform. True? That's true. So widely recognized. And you know this concept of financial planning, I find fascinating. I don't want to talk about it. And I want to talk about the role that technology can play in financial planning. But first, for the folks who don't know you, could you just give us the 101 real quick on Asset Map? Sure. Well, um, let's see. I'm 47. No,
1: um, I've been a financial advisor actually for the past 23, four years. And about, we'll call about five or six years in, I realized it was a book challenge, which was that I had a hard time communicating my 30, 40, 50 page report that I spent 10 hours on to a client who just wanted the bottom line of how they should act, what they should do, what's the guidance I should bring. So I was building executive summaries for every little thing I did and that's when asset map kind of came to mind so I built asset map for my own practice back in 2004 five six believe it or not a long time ago and uh, managed to have huge gains in our financial planning process uh, grew our revenue significantly and then went viral in 2012 when I showed it at a conference and now it's kind of taken over my life as thousands of advisors around the world using asset map as you said we've been getting a lot of accolade and I think it's really starting something new David and I, I've been joking recently that financial planning is dead now that might sound Counterintuitive to a degree, um, because financial planning is the fastest growing space for almost all uh, financial uh, professionals these days. Everybody wants to be a planner. I'm a CFP myself, mm-hmm. but we've been really pushing this idea that it's really all about engagement. We put the cart before the horse to a degree, and we're seeing a lot of people get intimidated by planning. They don't want to start it. They don't. The advisors aren't using it. The adoption is low. It makes all the sense in the world, right? To lead with planning, but we're just not getting people to do it. So. I think this kind of attention deficit environment where people want it done yesterday on demand is really forcing us to rethink how advice and and planning specifically is delivered. So that's what we've been focusing on at AssetMap is is how do you create a process and compress it to 15 minutes and make it more effective than anything we've ever seen before?
0: Yeah. And it's it's a uh, crowded space, right? I mean, we've seen a lot of technology platforms come into the financial planning uh, arena. And you're right. I mean, this is uh, clearly where the puck is going in terms of the overall industry. We all know the story. An advisor's value is in planning, not investment management. Still mm. unclear how many advisors are getting that message, but that message is there. Uh, and clients, I think, certainly are looking for better financial planning, even if they can't really articulate that when they first meet an advisor. But, you know, we have a, a money, right? a eMoney, uh, you know, all the ones. uh, money guy, sure. uh Great tools. And all great tools. Uh, uh, role of technology when it comes to financial planning. Seems to me to kind of follow along the road that technology came to for investments, right? And I remember uh, I've been covering this space long enough to remember when the robo's were threatening the financial advisor, mm. and and uh, you know they're coming for your job, and and we were not going to need financial advisors anymore because the robo's are going to take over and they're going to take over investment management. Uh, clearly, that didn't happen, but now the robo's kind of come for financial planning too, right? I mean, we're seeing <laughs> an increased number of technology platforms that uh, approach the consumer with financial planning uh, uh, software or, or options, you know, Wealthfront is one, I think there's financial planning mm-hmm. light embedded in a lot of, you know, traditional bank based financial services. What happens here? Uh, uh, you know, is, 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 is you stand on the nexus is financial technology going to usurp the advisor when it comes to financial planning, just like it almost threatened to do when it came to investments? Well, you know, it's, it's an interesting question because we debate this all the time in our industry,
1: right? I think it's very clear as a technologist today that technology will always go after high margin, low, low efficiency spaces. And it's true. Investment management and the margins that we've, I think, earned in this industry have been significant relative to the effort that technology can now make easy. Um, so I'm not so sure that that Robo and the technology didn't influence or accelerate the fact that most professionals who both monetize their business based on AUM, right, gathering assets and charging a fee usually, or some kind of compensation there, have been forced to accelerate the alignment with advice delivery as the deliverable, as opposed to just the performance or allocation or risk management. Okay, so I think we we I think what Robo basically did is said, okay, all you financial professionals, you better prove your value proposition if you're going to charge one percent or some number like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yes, yeah, so and now everybody's positioning as a, as an advisor. The the real key to why financial planning does a couple things. There's been many studies that have done. I can't quote them, but we all know that that clients who who have been engaged around financial advice. Tend to actually gather more AUM at the financial professional firm or level. Okay, so we know there's a g- direct correlation between an engaged client around this idea of why am I investing and am I investing consciously to my holistic picture, right? It's about education funding for my kids, it's about making sure I can retire and that accumulation and, of course, decumulation funding. So those are very high pain points for the consumer where we tend to want a human to validate our decisions, right? But there we, we are seeing a consumer getting more and more accustomed to the speed and the data integrity and privacy and security and then the ability to literally buy it now from platforms that are on their phone or their mobile devices. And and we think that advice will get commoditized. I believe very much that financial planning, the math and the logic behind it that has been Excel-based for years. We're talking about present value math, basic stuff, Mm -hmm. charts and graphs that will get commoditized through technology. And advisors will be forced, again, to figure out a way to deliver more than just projections. Okay, So this is not about financial planning as much as it gets... I say washed out with, oh, it's about a retirement plan, right? right. The, the real value, I think, for financial planners is going to be helping people make decisions that are difficult. There's a high cost of being wrong. Okay. That's, that's really where I think it, this technology is happening. But I would argue, David, that the, the goal here of technology in our space is to elevate the human experience. That's where I think a lot of advisors are missing it. They're adding technology for the sake of adding technology because they got to do it. They figure that's the only way to be competitive. But using technology as a differentiator is the surest way to basically lose to direct to consumer technology in the future because you can't keep up with the cost. Uh, I don't know what you think about that because you see so much.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's uh, exactly right, and I think uh, I mean the analogy to in investment management. I think it makes you know the most sense. I mean, those advisors that competed purely on their investment management chops are getting washed out. You know, they can't compete on the on the price uh, for low cost ETFs, model portfolios. Uh, all of that has sort of taken away that value from the advisor who thought investment management was what they were specializing in. And I can see the same thing happening with quote-unquote goals-based planning, right? You know, I have these three goals that I want to hit. Here's the, you know, the present value of uh, my money and here's where I need to go. And and here's the, you know, the, the stocks and the bonds and the portfolios that's going to get me there. That seems to me to be, it's, I think, you know, it's, what was it? Steve Lockshin said, anything that, you know, is based on an algorithm will be, you know, washed away by technology. Yeah. That's very true. Well, a lot of people ask us, you know, is
1: AI the future? We joke that yes, it's the AI that just not the one you think of it. We think it's advisor intelligence. The challenge for many of us is to find out where our, I mean, as an advisor, is to find our place in that delivery. Um, What we've been focusing on at Asset Map is saying, okay, how, how do we say, you know, there's so many different financial professionals in the space. Some are investment advisors, some are RIA, some independent, wirehouse. you've got insurance, wealth management now, bank, wealth management, uh, property and casualty getting into the space of wealth management, or is already there. Um, So there's many different, we'll call them perspectives that were kind of born out of the product placement that have moved towards advice or leading with advice, as we call it. And by the way, just as an aside, you know, the, the advisors who have created some level of scale over the years they've been doing financial planning or advice engagement for 10, 15 years. This is not new. And that's one of the reasons why I think companies like eMoney and MoneyGuy did a fantastic job of, of building scalable technology that, that many of us even used in the field, including myself, to engage your clients around why you're investing, why you're buying insurance, why an annuity makes place sense, or why reducing debt is, is appropriate. But I think where we're going and where the puck is, is I'm seeing it go, is that we actually need to find a way to deliver more humanity. And that's going to be the challenge for many of us because as we keep throwing technology at the problems uh, and we're so used to just, hey, I'll get an app for that. I don't, I don't need to actually communicate with my client. Well, the CRM will do it. Or right. you know, we've literally delegated to technology ad infinitum. And now we're saying, well, where's the where's the humanity at it? We, we tend to think that the way an advisor is going to stay relevant, David, is, is really by starting a conversation. So anything that supports me having intelligent conversation around making good decisions, which we have called financial planning for many years, but I call now financial engagement is really the future. And that's what we need to lead with. So we're not kind of chasing this puck all the time.
0: Yeah. I like that. I like that framing for financial advisors, considering financial engagement more than financial planning, because financial planning does connote spreadsheets, Excel spreadsheets, goals, uh, and here's how you get from point A to point B. Financial engagement strikes me as much more of uh, what what really should be going on in these relationships, right? I mean, uh, we're talking about how many times do clients not know what they don't know when they're talking to an advisor? And if a client goes onto a self-service financial planning platform, they don't know all the things that uh, uh, they might need to put in there. Uh, I don't know all the things I would need to put in there. I mean, the the, the conversations are surprising, and and that notion of you know a static financial plan. Uh, mm-hmm. That's unchanging in the future, right? It's like we set it and we forget it, and we go and and nothing, nothing ever changes until there's some big life event change, and then maybe we'll go back in and we'll we'll you know rejigger the numbers. That's not going to cut it anymore, right? I yeah, well, I I
1: totally agree. I well, I can't imagine it cutting it at what. At the revenue and margins that we have earned uh, historically, right? Mm-hmm. So th- there's th- the business is going to change, right? We're going to use technology to scale our practices to acquire more clients, but we do know margins are going to compress just because that's the nature of uh, effectively getting more efficient and getting rid of the slack in the system, right? We've seen a lot of uh, advisors start to reduce their fees. Uh, break off. Let's say the wh- you know what you're paying for advice, what you're paying for asset management, what you're paying maybe for insurance placement or guidance. We're starting to see more of this kind of um, itemization of what you're actually delivering for me because I got to justify that relative to all the other options that are coming direct to my phone today, and I want to know what I'm paying for. Right? People want that transparency. Certainly, regulatory is promoting this as well, saying, you know, you're acting in the best interest and here's how much it costs. But I think that the the real key for advisors over the next five to 10 years is to figure out a way to become instrumental in the client's long-term decision process. You know, Joe Duran, I know has been on this program too. He said something in 2014, it just stuck with me uh, and I've been promoting it a lot. So if Joe, you're listening, then thank you for that. Uh, he said that there was effectively two important components to financial decisions, He said, "One is is that the the challenge with them for consumers is they tend to be complex, right? They haven't been. Most people don't have financial literacy, and they haven't been educated on this stuff. Unfortunately, big problem in our society. Mm -hmm. And so that means that the decisions tend to be complex. The other the other kind of access to that decision process is that there's a high cost of being wrong, because we have no do overs, especially with retirement. I can't go back and save. I can't go back and allocate differently. I'm." you know there's a potential for me to to have a high risk here and that emotional risk of the complexity and the cost of being wrong tends to paralyze people right. and it's in those moments they tend to want a human right to validate so i think what advisors really need to do is they need to lower the complexity by giving people a way to understand what they're doing or deciding on. And number two, reduce the cost of being wrong by really managing the risks associated with those decisions. And that's going to be the key. If you can do that emotionally, and uh, I know Dan Crosby talks a lot about this behaviorally, uh, is you got to make sure that you're helping
0: people meet their emotional needs or else you're never going to help them get their, their financial needs. Yeah. I think that fear of doing something wrong just you know strikes a lot of paralysis into people, right? I mean, they're, they're, they don't make any move because- they're afraid that they're going to make the wrong move, and so that's you're right. That's where the advisor can come in. Tell me a little bit about asset map and and how it works uh, uh, with a client. If I'm an advisor mm-hmm. using asset map, we're definitely not a set it and forget it kind of financial plan in in this. No, we
1: on. do. I mean, you can actually. There's components of there. We do allow a little bit of uh, of uh, a passive uh, role here. But I, look, the the focus on our superpower is the following. We tend to our kind of moniker today is advice starts here. We are very much a front end experience for new prospects coming into a financial professional engagement. So we have direct to consumer profiling. We even enable uh, all of our professionals who use our service to literally not only create outbound Uh, customized fact find profilers that can be done in 15 minutes on their mobile device and build an entire fact find asset map for kyc but we also allow for inbound i can send this to a thousand people and use it as lead gen to to, to say hey listen get a second opinion with a financial x-ray because what is generated is a singular visualization digitally or on paper of what's going on in your financial household not just your two registrants right this the classic husband and wife with two kids But all the people and businesses and trusts, and so we can handle great complexity that most advisors actually deal with. Multiple currencies, multiple languages, offshore, crypto, doesn't matter. Anything that you have that's financial, assets, liabilities, incomes, insurance policies can live in asset map Uh, and effectively create this singular visualization. And that's, that's our superpower because what happens is that when you throw that on a screen, especially in a screen sharing environment or a large display, as most advisors work. Now, all of a sudden, we can just talk about the facts. Why did you choose to do this? I see you don't have this. And we can actually overlay what your peers are doing that we don't see you doing. And that mm-hmm. becomes a great way to start a conversation around, gosh, I, I notice you have these five IRAs. Why do you do that? Is there a way to consolidate that? Can we create efficiency here? Where's the life insurance? I don't see the life insurance. Should mm-hmm. this be in trust? So you can you can kind of see how more of a, an open conversation can happen that promotes the advisor's intelligence applied in real time to the client's situation in a visual setting. And it just becomes so engaging that the clients become addicted to their map. They want that. They covet it. They're like, give me that map, Uh, especially if you could brand that to the advisor. So that's really what we do have actually embedded financial planning tools, but that's our commodity. We think it's a giveaway. And so uh, that's
0: that's what we're doing these days. It's really getting people excited where uh, you have benchmarks there for what other clients are doing or what uh, other con- I guess consumer for lack of a better word are doing yeah uh, uh, where do these benchmarks come from from your own database you mean the benchmarks and
1: inter- oh I see you mean overlaying of peers no actually right. it's interesting so, really. we, we, it's a fun experiment because we, we got this in about seven years ago we started taking all the data in map, right we've, we've gotten about a we have over a million people on asset now uh, about 1.2 trillion dollars in financial instruments so there's a massive amount of data. Um, And, and what we start to see there is that despite the fact, get this, despite the fact that all of these uh, households are working with a professional, they are all grossly undersaved on average, they are grossly underinsured for life, disability and long-term care. Okay. They clearly don't have the right property and casualty stuff in co- force. Now, there's a, there could be two things here happening. So, the data that we look when, if I were to overlay your peer, David, and say, okay, someone who is an X Gen, I'm making an assumption, has this, that, and the other. The only the problem with this is that I would, based upon your specific, you know, results or how much assets you have, you're going to either have more or less than the average. And either way, that wound up actually behaviorally causing more. We'll call it discomfort from both the advisor and the client. So we said, you know what? What's more valuable is for me to tell you the types of instruments your peers have. So typically an X generation will would likely, or quote unquote, should have life insurance from their employer, life insurance outside. They should have disability coverage, probably from their employer, maybe outside. They should have an IRA, a qualified plan, a 401k, a 529. They should likely have a house and a mortgage, maybe a home equity line of credit, some student loans. You see what I'm doing? They have multiple sources of income. And so it's more important We found over time to not tell people what their peers had monetarily, but what their peers were doing and acting upon. That was better at getting people to take the right form of action to say, you know what? Maybe I do need to consider long-term care. Can you educate me there so I understand what's the best choice for me? Okay. As opposed to telling him, listen, compared to everybody else, you're underfunded and you're a schmuck, right? Or you've got more money than all my clients. Maybe you're too big for me. Do you see the problem with that? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. and. How does the discovery process work then when you're working with prospects or clients? I mean, you know, I mean, conversations I have with financial advisors, I'm always learning something. It's like, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about the fact that, you know, <laughs> uh, my in-laws might need some health care in the future, you know, and I would have no idea what their situation is like. So I got to yeah. be prepared for that or, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm saving money in my 529, but, uh, you know, maybe my kid decides to go to Europe for, you know, a few years as opposed to college. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. there's uh, that, that notion of not knowing what I don't know as a client. The advisor can really help me walk through those things. Uh, your platform helps see some of those uh, uh, scenarios that maybe I'm not even thinking about as a client. Well,
1: it, it, it's funny because the platform is agnostic to perspective. The, the, the platform itself is trying to make it easy to collect the information where an advisor can look at it and see exactly what you're talking about right so depending upon the skill and the perspective of the professional by the way, we don't just work with investment professionals. We have attorneys and CPAs that use Map to talk about what they want to talk about, which is legal structure or tax implications and why there's inefficiencies there. So the key is, is that the system, in order for an x-ray machine to be effective, let's say in a hospital system, it's got to be truly standard and agnostic to opinion. Okay. Here's a picture of your bones. Now let's have the right eyes put on those, that, those x-rays. A younger advisor might see the obvious things like the broken bone. An established advisor, or in my case, a physician, will see also the dark spot that people miss. Okay. And that's really important is we're trying to empower the advisor to put their intelligence on it so that they can bring up the conversation you mentioned, which is, gosh, I see you have uh, um, your mother-in-law is also on your map uh, and it looks like she's got some assets. Is she going to be a financial dependent upon you? Do we need to consider long-term care for her so it doesn't come back on you? Because I'm worried about how that's going to impact your overall retirement plan if you have to stop working to take care of Nana. Et cetera, et cetera. Right. That's a very human conversation that can happen because the facts are in front of me. If I'm hidden from those facts, right, or I'm, them, those are obscure to me, I won't know to bring it up, David, right? I won't know to, to ask the question, well, what happens if your child decides to go to Europe instead of to college, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Do I need to establish it? But if I see that as an established advisor, I'm going to look for that. So the key here is actually advisor empowerment and helping them understand how to interpret and then ask the right questions so that they get to the real meat of the problem.
0: Um, What about uh, the dynamism of uh, financial plans and Mm. the fact that they're not static and and they do change from the client's perspective and they'll change with the markets, they'll change with uh, life events, anything can sort of throw things off track or or impact. Uh, How do you deal with the rolling Mm. uh, uh, potential for disruption? I know you came up with some signals, almost like stress testing in a financial plan. It's true. Well,
1: Signals is, was our first uh, entree into algorithmic approach. One of the things we did realize is that there was something that I've spoken about a bunch called the uh, six L's. It's a great framework for interpreting the financial, we'll call it security of a household. I'll just share with, uh, with our audience um, what they are. It's basically the six events that typically disrupt all of our clients, uh, we'll call it Uh, Long-term plans. All this great planning we're doing, it's going to get disrupted by these flat tires, if you will. So uh, they start with liquidity. That's basically emergency reserves. I have to write a big check. Uh, Long-term disability, loss of life, long-term care, longevity, that's living too long, and legal or liability attacks right? Somebody's going to sue you. And so these are things that advisors can pay attention to. They can build structure around. Uh, they could build protection mechanisms around. But the key for us was to say, wait a minute, we have enough data in AssetMap to tell you, give you feedback algorithmically uh, at any point in time based upon preliminary data or a very well established client whether there's a red yellow or green light in other words you know the blink the blinker light is going on at the reactor someone go down and check reactor number 4 this is a problem or maybe a problem right the key was to force advisors to start communicating to clients that it's not always about the, you know, the beautiful market performance we've gotten, but it's also, I got to protect you from the things that nobody wants to talk about. So that's what our signals uh, platform is going to do. It's actually coming out in December, but our financial planning engine um, is actually something that I, I really like to deprecate. In other words, I tend to think that financial planning in general is a very rough science Right? We're making projections of 30, 40 years. We're making assumptions of mortality and interest rates and taxes. So it's hocus pocus, David. I mean, th- mm-hmm. these, this math is nonsense. No matter how specific and accurate you think you can be, I- I'm telling you out of the gate. I'd rather get to clarity. Tell me what direction to walk in and about how fast than tell me when I'm exactly going to arrive 30 years from now. Because I know it's just nonsense. I'm going to change my mind tomorrow. All right. I'm going to have different impressions about what I need to spend 10 years from now, let alone what I care about. And so I, I think it's kind of silly for us to get so specific on these financial plans. And so we have focused on listen, we should keep an up to date continuously how much. Uh, How much more space we need, or how much more capital we need to meet our goal, and what that's going to cost us in financing or or coming up with money today. So we continuously know how much people should be saving theoretically uh, in asset map based upon multiple goals, and that's I think the important part for clients. Right, you're taking away that complexity to make a decision by giving them some confidence that you're that you're calculating what it's going to take to get to my ideal result but you're not trying to overwhelm me to the point of like literal
0: paralysis on the numbers. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, you know, like, I remember early on a conversation with the financial aid, you know, how much would you like to save for retirement? And my response was, well, as much as possible. I mean, you know, what, I, I don't know how to answer that question. I mean, yeah, I want to save as much as I possibly can. What, you know, but that you know, it's, I mean, he quickly kind of steered me in a different direction, but the idea of financial planning being a commodity is, is interesting, and the dynamism of of the financial plan interesting. What do you think about the uh, notion of financial technology for advisors overall? You made an interesting comment earlier that uh, you know advisors maybe aren't using the stuff uh, as as well as they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've heard statistics around advisors using maybe 30% of the technology that's available to them. Yeah. Uh, why isn't uh, there a greater adoption? I mean, I guess it's inertia and, and, and set in their ways and, and this kind of thing. But you know, what is it about financial technology that maybe is not as easy for advisors to use as it should
1: be? You know, I, It's interesting that you ask this because as a recovering financial planner myself who ran a firm of 25 people, I will tell you that we were really good at our job so much so that we really didn't need technology to do it. I used to joke that if you just give me a yellow pad, an HP calculator, and a pen, I'm going to be really dangerous. I could probably do 80 to 90% of my revenue generation. Because the reality is most of us, we're, we're in the business of going out and acquiring clients and, uh, and building relationship and building confidence in our capabilities. So we come from a place, the established advisors come from a place of I did it without this technology, right? Okay, fine. I've got a CRM, which my team uses, I think. And I got a financial planning engine, which I kind of use. So I think that because you know the demographics of, of the financial advisory space, you've got a very well-seasoned, established community of generally older individuals who I think are going to be reticent to adopt technology as fast in general. And you know, you, you go where leadership goes. Leadership sets the standard. The I would call them the younger firms and newer generations, they're, they're doing a lot building A rot around technology, so I think again, there's this barbell approach again in our industry, where there's a real high adopters, and then there's a yeah, that's nice. So I think that's why you're seeing in general very low adoption of technology, unless it's critical or required for revenue generation or compliance. That's where you're seeing high obvious adoption because there's a big pain point if you don't uh, Mm -hmm. execute. But I think that's going to change, right? It's it's got to, to change just because there has to be more efficiency in our business. And like likely, like you said, the the, com- the competitive nature of technology will force a lot of people to decide to do it or not. Um, but I think it really comes down to ease of use. If a lot of this technology was easy or perceived easy to use, it would probably get much more adoption. I don't think it's any different than the gym equipment that it looks idealistic when I bought it But it's complicated, it's annoying, and it's painful. And so it sits there in the basement like all my other stuff that I bought. You know, I I think if you can make it easy and you make it compelling to the customer and the customer loves it and just wants it, you will do it. Uh, And that's where we tend to focus on, you know, and our enterprise adoption is over 75% monthly usage again and again every month. So we're really focusing highly on create delight fast on demand uh, and make the advisor look good
0: so that they're going to do it. This enterprise adoption is interesting to me. When you talk to the uh, enterprises out there, Mm -hmm. is there a recognition amongst these firms that in order to recruit advisors, to keep advisors, particularly Mm -hmm. younger advisors, you know, they can't be putting them in front of platforms that are old and rickety and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, that younger advisors will be looking for firms or be more attracted to firms to join firms that seem to be more technology driven. Yeah,
1: I agree, and and, and that's I, there's no question that the next generation is is having a higher expectation. The interesting thing about the the very young parties coming into the business is they tend to be much more fickle on this. I say fickle lovingly because I'm one of those people. Despite the fact not being young anymore, um, I tend to very much focus on packaging and how something looks and feels, and is this something I'm going to be proud of this? Um, so the so the youth is is probably figures out within the first two or three years, whether the company really has a commitment to user experience and customer experience. So uh, I, I do see it, David, as being an attraction strategy for, for next generation advisors, but it's got to be, it, it can't just be on the surface. It's got to be uh, consistent because one of the bigger complaints we've seen from advisors who are moving around is they're just so frustrated with the back office technology so that the, the back office was never innovated, but the front office was. And so it's all show. And you're making it really difficult for me to execute my job in ways that should be easy. So I think we're seeing now these legacy architectures in the back end now starting to finally get a little attention um, or just throw out the whole thing and
0: start over um, is what we're tending to see. Yeah. And uh, we we claim we have a a problem attracting younger advisors into the industry. Well, maybe one of the reasons is that we don't necessarily give them uh, inviting places to work. But uh, <laughs> during during the pandemic, you uh, launched a technology conference, a virtual technology conference. Uh, I believe yeah. it was your first one. Uh, yeah, it's true. What, uh, what was uh, what was the idea? It was a great conference. Uh, uh, great speakers. I thought well Thank done, you. very well focused. Great conversations. What um what was your thinking there? Do do we need another conference like this in the industry? I mean, I thought yours was done well, but what were Thank you thinking you. about? Well, you know, it was actually a response to the fact that
1: you know many of us who are in the space, the fintech community uh, in the states is actually really, really tight. Um, what I've learned about being in there is that uh, it's very much—I don't want to call it a click because I think in some ways I've, I've indoctrinated it, but it's definitely a community and it's an opportunity for us to see each other and in those conferences that all got shut down because of the pandemic we didn't get to see each other and there was a there was just a real gap in terms of ongoing communication so we were just prolific in the early days of creating webinars and you know doing this stuff we're probably all sick of now but i the, the goal was to of course I, I tend to try to disrupt everything um I don't try to be disruptive but i try to be try to rethink a lot of what we're doing and say can we just do this differently or better completely whatever re- And I think the key for a one-day full tech showcase was a response, David, to the fact that so many advisors weren't even seeing what technology was available to them. They typically saw what their broker-dealer rolled out, you know, five years late. And- you know, they're always coming late to the show. So they might want to go to a conference, but they just, they're not going to get on a plane right now. So the goal was to take all the cool tech that was being displayed, as many as 20 companies, and all of us to do a showcase of what we're building. So people can real advisors specifically, can really see what's coming out and then support that with thought leaders who are talking about what are the trends and, you know, the, the kind of classic thought leader panel. But I think the interesting thing about it and what we got uh, a lot of accoladed on is, is the, is the recognition that these conferences make a lot of money for, com- for companies, and we didn't want to make it about the money we really wanted to make it about the message, and so we took any profitability we had, committed it to a charitable cause that we could all get behind and, and over the last couple of years, you might know uh, because actually we won a wealthy last year for for our diversity equity inclusion side because we made the CFP board's uh, DNI initiative. Mm-hmm. Uh, our benefactor partner, uh, and then last year in twenty, or this year I should say in twenty twenty one, we made it the Foundation for Financial Planning pro bono financial planning. So, um, mm-hmm. we're really trying to, you know, create awareness for these programs and also give money, but more important, awareness because that that magnifies their impact. And I think that's that's people what got people got behind that, and and that's it. So we've gone, we all go on these webinars, David, but. The whole point is that we could all collectively get together and with small dollar amounts, all collectively make an impact. And I, I think that's something we can get behind.
0: Yeah. That's fantastic. Are you going to continue with the conference even in the post? We are.
1: Yeah. We're planning our third one now for, uh, looks like we'll be in September of 2022. Uh, it's already got, I not want to say it's pre-booked already, but it's, it's going to be something else that we're going to be proud of because we have to constantly reinvent. Great. Fantastic. Is that going to be a, a live component to that or are you going to remain in the virtual? You mean is it going to be in person? Um, yes. You know we've got a, we've got some demand for that. Although I, I happen to think that as everybody goes back to live, there's going to be a gap of of a virtual, um, yeah. and so I think we're probably going to keep it virtual because we want it to be accessible, David. We want four thousand people to come, and for it to cost them fifty bucks to come, and it's going to charity anyway. So I think uh, I think that space is something we'll keep to the theme. Uh, of advice tech live. It's it's really not about asset map. So I'm, I'm clear about it. It's really a community style event. And so we'll do whatever supports getting more people there and making a bigger impact.
0: Sure. Let me ask you, as we kind of wrap up here, your thoughts about where advisor technology is going in the future. We hear a lot, of course, about uh, artificial intelligence and, and you've mm-hmm. given us a little bit of your thoughts on that. Uh, is artificial intelligence or machine learning in uh, planning or advisor technology, a real thing, or is it uh Kind of hyped. Where's technology for the advisor going in say the next 10, 15 years? 15 years? That's like a yeah. lifetime. That that allows me to be
1: just more crazy, right? Because how are you going to prove me wrong? I, I guess um it is a real thing, David. And I think the problem is it's not real to a lot of professionals, advisors, and firms because they don't understand it. And I don't know that I understand it yet. And we it's okay. I tend to think about it the way that Jeff Bezos said, he says, I don't need to know what the technology in the future is going to be. What I need to know is how to deliver lots of choice to my customers faster than anybody else. Hmm. Um, And I think for advisors, they need to figure out a way to deliver more of themselves and the guidance for which clients really desperately want and need. They want that mentorship, right? So think about it this way. Clients are going to want mentorship on money, right? How to be more financially well right? They want wellness. They want to be engaged in part of the process. They want to be empowered, right? Think about those words. Those are not words we tend to use, but if you cut it down to the core, that's what clients want. They want actually emotional certainty around making financial decisions that serves them and their goals and the things they don't even know that's coming in the future, right? And so the question is, how does an advisor deliver that? If they need to use machine learning to do it so that they can spend more time with the client and talk about the crap that really matters, that's what they should be doing. Okay, So the technology is going to support the delivery of a, I would argue, much more robust, deeper relationship that's based upon delivering long-term emotional value tied to money. And I know that sounds crazy because isn't it just about the dollars and the Benjamins? And the answer is not really. We've we've kind of ascended to a different level of actualization, I think, as a community and saying that, You know, if ESG has relevance, if DNI has relevance, it's because clearly we're thinking deeper than ourselves. And that's where I think the future is, is to think more as a a community and society and our impact and place in it. And as and as touchy-feely as that sounds, that is the future. uh, if we're going to continue to kind of go on this path. So technology will support that, David. And yes, it will offload a lot of the stuff that we've typically had to take time and effort to do. So that is, I do believe this is the future. I just don't know that we know what it's exactly going to look like. So either way, it's going to be impactful.
0: Yes, yeah, That's fantastic. Yeah, uh, Adam, this has been great. I know we're, we're coming to the end of our allotted time here. I think it's a, a good place to, to, to leave it. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, great conversation. I've learned a lot. Uh, and, and thanks for all your efforts. Well, thanks everything you're doing for
1: our community and and helping us uh, understand and and stay on track with everything that's going on in the world. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you. We'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, David. This has been the Advisor Innovations Podcast. I'm David Armstrong. Thanks for listening. This
1: podcast is sponsored by LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC.
0: LPL Financial is a separate entity from and not affiliated with wealthmanagement.com.